Hey, it's Love Coach Heidi. Welcome back for another video. Today we're continuing our discussion on the eight different attachment personality patterns and we're diving into the attachment personality pattern of the victim today. So first of all, before we dive into that, what is an attachment personality pattern? Well, when you're born into a family dynamic, particularly one is, that is dysfunctional, toxic, abusive, addicted, we're all scrambling and hustling to try to figure out how to do life in that family. We're trying to figure out how to survive, thrive, connect, or cope in that family of origin. And what we do is we take on a personality in order to just get through it, to function in the dysfunction. And it really is a form of codependency at the end of the day. And as a codependency coach, it's my hope to help do a couple of things. The first thing I want to do is foster awareness of any subconscious patterns that you might be living out within your current relationships that you once adopted as a way to function, but now it's not working anymore. And then I want to give you the tools and the strategies to break free from those patterns once and for all, because again, patterns aren't pathology. You're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you, but there's a way likely that you're behaving and showing up in your relationships today that just isn't working for you anymore. It's holding you back from having the relationships that you really deserve and that you really want. Now, here's what's ironic about the role of the victim in this dysfunctional family dynamic. Likely, victims aren't the ones watching this video today. In fact, the only time a victim will ever search out a video on YouTube about being a victim is to prove people wrong, that they're not actually a victim. So if victims aren't actually watching this video today, who's watching this video? You know who it is likely? It's likely the role of the fixer, the attachment personality pattern of the fixer, who's looking to properly diagnose the victim in the household and figuring out how to fix that person or help that person best, or it's a clinician. I work with a lot of therapists and I certify coaches. So if you're watching this video, likely you're trying to figure out, okay, let me really understand this role of the victim. So let me just give you a caveat. This role is particularly hard to help in, in many ways. And we're going to get into that today when we talk about the five core traits, because there is just a refusal to recognize that the person is actually in the role to begin with. That's why victims aren't searching out YouTube videos unless they're trying to prove people wrong. So who does play the role of the victim in this dysfunctional family dynamic? It is usually the toxic person themselves. So there's one toxic or dysfunctional person in the household and everybody else is scrambling and hustling to try to cope to, in that, with that person. And they are the ones that are taking on these other roles that the perfectionist or the withholder or the fixer. And the victim is the one that's kind of the source of it all. So they will be the al alcoholic or addict or narcissist or toxic person. And again, if they're actively alcoholic or addicted or narcissistic, their level of insight is slim to none as far as the impact that they're having on other people goes. So let's get into these five core traits first, and then we can talk a little bit more about what's the path out of this. How I want to help you identify very clearly a victim in this dynamic first to begin with. Number one, core trait number one, is a tendency to ruminate on the past. And this could be past disappointments. You'll find that this person ruminates constantly on all the people have done them wrong throughout their lifetime. Now, I, I just want to give a caveat to say this. 
sometimes there's a difference between being a true victim and playing the role of the victim in the family. Way to understand, I'm not really talking about a true victim here, where their hands are really tied. They're, they're, they're subjected to, oftentimes the victim role will be victimizing other people in the family. The alcoholic who says, my hands are tied, there's nothing I can do, I just, you know, I, and then he's like hurting everybody else in the household, but not even recognizing that. And there'll be other people that are true victims of the alcoholic, but actually refuse to take on that role because they just need to suck it up and carry on. They don't, they can't, they don't even recognize they've been victimized because they've just been in survival mode for so long. I hope that makes sense. So this person is not really a true victim, but they play the role of the victim. And you'll hear them ruminating on the past all the time, talking about all the ways that people continually disappoint them, have hurt them. Now, again, there might be some validity there that other people have done them wrong or hurt them, but they continue to focus on it, even though significant amount of time or opportunity has gone by to heal those things, they tend to get lost in their feelings. In fact, when we get through these other traits, you'll see that even when you're trying to um, help a victim, they're committed to their sadness. They're committed to their disappointment. They're committed to ruminating in those feelings and all attempts to pull them out of that are really futile because again, their level of commitment to that disappointment is so intense. Number two, with all victims or most victims, I find that there's a sense of them being different. They feel that they're different. They're not really that different, right? They're, they're kind of, we're all the same in some ways, but with a victim, there's a sense of not difference like I'm special, like there's something unique about me, but more in the sense where nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. Nobody really cares for me or understands me or cares to get to understand me or really tries to get to know me. There's an undertone of I'm different and nobody sees it. You know, it's very different to say, oh, I'm special and I feel that and I carry that through in the world. But to, there's, there's more of like a misfit kind of feeling with, this, with a victim that it's kind of um, hopeless. Nobody gets me. And then the caveat is, and no one ever will, right? There's, a, there's, an end, there's another attachment to that statement. Nobody gets me and no one ever will. So there's a real sense of hopelessness. Nobody's ever going to really love me. Nobody's ever going to really understand me. And um, that's a deep-seated uh, commitment that the victim holds is that, and nobody ever will. Number three, a tendency to blame other people for all failure, um, any kind of lack of success is when, a, when you talk to a victim about, hey, why'd that thing go wrong or why aren't you where you want to be in your life? They will launch into a dissertation about how other people have prevented them from being where they want to go in their lives. How other situations, well, I would have been able to do that, but I couldn't because this circumstance prevented me from doing it. They'll blame everything from the weather to people, to um, lack of opportunity when opportunity was there, you name it, a victim has no insight at all into their own personal responsibility. They blame everybody else. And if you're with a victim, that can be extremely frustrating because 
um, nine times out of 10, if the victim is the toxic person or the dysfunctional person and, and you see them being able to kind of get help, like work a recovery program, get into treatment, they'll actually blame you for not even getting into the treatment. Well, I would be in a treatment if you were more positive or if you were more helpful or you didn't help me find the treatment place and that's why I didn't go. So it's just a constant shirking of any responsibility at all and complete and total projection of all of their faults and all of their mistakes onto somebody else. It's just never them. It's everybody else all the time. Can you tell by my tone how frustrated I get with this personality type, right? It is very frustrating. If you are working with a victim or if you are in a relationship with a victim, the, the, the biggest thing that you have to really watch out for is buying into that bullshit, is actually believing, oh yeah, I guess I am responsible. I guess I am the reason. Because if you have a fixer personality pattern, uh, that hero attachment personality pattern, you are gonna be apt to believe that it actually is you and you're gonna to continue to hustle and scramble and try to find a way to change the victim or help the victim when, when again, they're committed to, to staying stuck. So the fourth thing though, that makes this merry-go-round why victims attract heroes and fixers is because victims have a deep-seated rescue fantasy. So while they believe that nobody really gets them and nobody really understands them and nobody's ever going to get them or understand them, they have this fantasy that they play over and over again in their mind that someday the right person will come along and save them. In fact, they look to other people many times to provide their sense of safety and security. And again, nobody can do that for anybody. That's an inside job. But victims will not feel safe and secure and blame the person that they look to to rescue them. Well, they couldn't do it because they're not strong enough or they're not smart enough or they're not able enough. And again, there is no insight, but there's this always holding out, even though they're hopeless, nobody will ever get me. It plays in their mind, though, this rescue fantasy. So it's just, it's just torturous for them because... They, on the one hand, they're delusionally thinking that somebody's going to come along and save them, but at the same token, they believe nobody can. So it just really is this prison for them. The fifth thing, though, that makes this, this type of personality extremely difficult to work with as a coach or as a clinician or as just even the fixer in your family that you're trying to help is that there is a level of treatment resistance with a victim. Meaning, you, as soon as you start to work with a victim, let's say you're coaching and you happen to be one of my coaches and you're watching this video in life school, Love Yourself First Empowerment School, and you're, you're learning how to, how to work with this specific population, here's what you need to know. As soon as you are working with a victim and you start to point out to them any kind of personal responsibility, even hint at it, like you're going to say to them in a session, well, it sounds, you know, maybe they're talking about um, a, a relationship that's gone awry where the, the person just lost all communication, just fell off the face of the earth. And yet again, one more person disappears on me. And you say to the victim, well, I hear that he disappeared. And that's that's really, you know, that that's that's really terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, what was going on with you and your communication right up before that? You know, do, do, can you see any part that you might have played, right? You're just trying to get them to see any piece of how they were showing up or interacting or maybe they were withholding. 
what you'll notice is that they become really angry. They become very frustrated and very argumentative with you, where even if they pretend to take on some not um, responsibility, oh yeah, I guess I can see that I might've contributed in some way, but ultimately not really, because that person really is the problem, not me. They'll stop showing up to coaching. They'll stop showing up to therapy the minute you start to hint or intimate that they have some kind of personal responsibility because again, that's the last thing that a victim wants to take is any personal responsibility at all whatsoever. The other fact of this treatment resistance is you can provide all the tools in the world to a victim. You can give them the right strategies. You can tell them, hey, when you're having this feeling, use this technique in this situation and a victim will say, well, that's not really gonna work for me because you don't really get me. You don't really know me. That might work for other people. I've tried it. Well, have you tried it consistently? Again, try to point out some, some not a personal responsibility. Well, you know, I tried it a little bit, but I knew right away it wasn't gonna be for me. So again, there's a treatment resistance there. You'll give them the tools, but they refuse to use them. So can you help a victim? Can you help somebody who's in that victim role? Uh, not a true victim, but a, a person in a, playing a victim. Can you help them? Not until they get out of that role. How do they get out of that role? Treatment. If they're addicted, if they're, if they're an alcoholic or an addict, you cannot make any headway with this personality until they have a clear head and they are out of that role. If they are actively addicted in any way, shape or form with any substance at all whatsoever, and you might be like, well, Heidi, they used to be uh, on crack, but now they just smoke a little weed. They're not there. They're not available to you, okay? So until they are completely substance-free and in treatment for a significant amount of time, a significant amount of time, only then, only then, with the help of therapy and intervention, is a victim in recovery able to start to take some personal responsibility. And then if they work a program, then they start to see, and then they start to say, oh, you weren't the reason I was alcoholic. Oh, I, I was blaming you because you made me drink, but I made me drink. You know, they start to take the responsibility. It's a long time coming. So if you are trying to have a conversation with a, a victim role who's actively addicted or alcoholic, stop what you're doing right now and start to research getting them into a good treatment center, a good place where they can go and be in treatment and get the help that they need so they can start to assume personal responsibility, which happens again, a long time into recovery. Okay. Now, again, if they're not actively addicted, but this victim is always playing the role, poor me, everybody's hurting me. My kids do this to me. My family does this to me. Right. And you know, damn well, it's them. It's they who are causing all of the toxicity and the dynamic. That's likely a narcissistic type of personality. And again, those people don't go into treatment. They don't even go in unless they're threatened in their family dynamic. And somebody goes, I'm going to divorce you unless you go into counseling. Then they might go in but they go in begrudgingly and as soon as the therapist starts to point out that there might be some personal responsibility with this narcissist, they stop going to therapy. Therapy is not really, doesn't show good results for people with this type of personality. Again, the only time that a victim role can really recover is if they get into a significant intensive treatment program. You're not gonna do it. No matter how adept you are as a fixer or a coach or a therapist or however great you think you are, there's nothing, and you are great, okay, but there's nothing that you're going to be able to say to break that denial 
until that person decides to get within themselves and search within themselves and really start to do that internal work. So what's the best strategy for this? Well, we really only want to be helping motivated people. You cannot force a, somebody in that role to want to get better. They, 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 you know, they don't even recognize they're sick. So it's really a futile process. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is point that person in the direction of a recovery program, an intensive treatment program, and help to get them on the road to recovery. And then eventually, if they start working that program, maybe they'll come around and start to make amends with you. But in the meantime, you know, if they're in that role, if they're blaming you, if they're refusing to use the tools, if they're throwing up their hands, my hands are tied, there's nothing I can do, odds are nine times out of 10, that person is actively addicted, actively alcoholic and needs an intervention or they're narcissistic and you need to just get out because there's, there's nothing you're going to be able to do there. Okay. Ooh, right. I mean, that's a lot of information, but I really want you to understand the severity here. You know, um, is there hope? Yes. I, when I worked inside of a drug and alcohol treatment center, I worked there for many, many years and I saw thousands of people come through there beginning in that role and ending up assuming personal responsibility, but only because they were willing to work very, very hard on themselves and they can turn it around. But again, they can turn it around, not you. They can turn it around. All right. I love you so much. Make sure you subscribe to this video. And if you find it helpful, like it. Okay, leave a comment because it really does help us help more people. We want to get the word out on how addiction and dysfunction and toxicity affects everybody else in the family. A victim mentality thinks that the only person they're really hurting is themselves and they don't even feel like everybody else is hurting them. It's not even them doing it. But you and I both know an addict or an alcoholic in a family dynamic has a ripple effect. It affects every single person in that household. And so we always want to be encouraging for them to get help. And we always want to be finding ways for us to get better, whether they get better or not. And that's what we do over at lovecoachheidi.com. We help you get better, whether they get better or not. All right. I love you so much. Take excellent care of yourself and I'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye.